You're not imagining it. There is another live action animation hybrid show on network TV. Today on Writers Get Animated, we're talking Imaginary Mary. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and how furry Rachel Dratch can be. Um, I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva making a shocked face <laughs> at that statement. Goodness, okay. She's a furry monster. Uh, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> so Imaginary Mary is a new TV show um, on the ABC network, as they say, um, about Alice, this woman who has it all. Um, until she realizes that she doesn't, and her mind drags out Mary, her imaginary friend from childhood. Dun, dun, dun. Um, hilarity ensues, as they say. This is new, so if you haven't watched it, you should watch it, although if you did our homework, hopefully you did. Um, <laughs> this is similar to many things we've talked about before. Such as? Oh, man. Um, well, we talk about Roger Rabbit like every other episode, so we're going to go with Roger Rabbit number one. As Son a, of Zorn. As a, as a live-action animation hybrid we're talking, right? Yes, it's and not just like a hybrid, but it's the what-if scenario of someone, a real person, meeting an animated character. Okay. So it's not just like Mary Poppins would be live-action animation hybrid, but there's not really like the the comedic setup of it's weird and different to them. It's just kind of, oh, this is a thing that we're doing now. So what in that in that scenario, Mary Poppins herself would have to be animated to fit this bill. Yes, if we were doing if there's some new dark gritty reboot of Mary Poppins where Mary Poppins was herself an animated character, yes, that would fit this bill. Okay. But I was yeah, never mind. I was oh, talking about the penguin sequence. Right. I, I know you were talking about the penguin sequence. I'm saying in order for Mary Poppins to fit what we're specifically talking about in terms of this animation, live action combo specifically, Mary mm -hmm. Poppins herself would have to be an animated character. Yeah. As opposed to Mary Poppins, as you said, having animation in it. It's not simply there that there's characters animated inside of it. Yeah, not, not just that. It's not just like, oh, there's also this. Um, although we talk about live action animation together, I think the same setup has been done purely with live action in a couple forms. Uh, notably, Wilfred and Avenue Q are about real people meeting puppets or weird imaginary things in some way. No animation involved, but I think same vein of humor. So that's off the side. Table that thought. But that also exists so live action live action hybrids yeah but like it's <laughs> what if what if the muppets were real and lived in new york what would their life be like sure and then what what if <clears throat> a guy dressed as a dog an australian guy <laughs> dressed as a dog yeah and no one else could see him he's he's like the imaginary friend there same idea ish yeah i, I will i will grant you an ish on that I get one ish, not three. I, I will grant you an okay. Three ishes. The Wilfred yes. comparison has three ishes. 
But ixnay on the asking for more issues. Ishways. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so why would why would you choose to do this? Why would why would this be a choice in terms of telling your story to have an animated character? What does that grant you? Um, what does that I benefit for, the story? For people producing the show, they think that it's something new and different, which will get people to watch it. <laughs> Outside the story, I think that's something. Um, no judgment on that thing. That's just a thing that I think is there. Um, otherwise, adding to the story, you get lots of interesting dichotomies you can play with. And who doesn't love the odd couple? And in some ways, isn't the story of a girl and her imaginary friend another odd couple? Yeah, we do like those buddy comedies where somebody is one thing and then they meet their polar opposite, but who lives in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think that you have the benefit of Mary, this character who looks like Oh, she looks like a Disney character because I think she kind of pretty much is a Disney character, but a Disney character, it's like if Disney had designed a Monsters, Inc. monster and they also decided to workshop it through the Jim Henson Muppet workshop and they tried to fix it up that way and fine tune it a little bit through there and then took it back to Disney for more refinement and just like injected her cheekbones with cute. Just like that. Yeah, just like that. I, I feel like that's how they came up with this because I don't know if you know this, but there was a, a previous version of the pilot where there mm. was a different version of Mary Still voiced by Rachel Dratch or someone else entirely? I still think still voiced by Rachel Dratch, but the look was completely different. The l- I think that makes sense, though. Like, to have a pilot for a show like this, you don't want to invest a lot of money in your <laughs> animated character before you get funding. Well, I think they they did it as if it was mimicking the actual child's drawing. Hmm. So if you imagine a child's drawing come to life, as opposed to what what they did here, which I think is they tried to embody the child's intention behind the drawing instead of the actual drawing. She, Mm -hmm. She intended one thing, and that's what we got, even though a child's drawing can never live up to, and my drawings can never live up to exactly what I wanted it to be on paper, but the imaginary friend that you drew coming to life at that point. Dramaturgically, I think I'm okay with how it wound up. I am because, too. Because, yeah, when, you, when you're a kid drawing, it's one thing to, as a storyteller, embrace that style and say, like, ha, look at this drawing. It's like how the kids draw it, but that's not how the kids see it. Mm-hmm. The kids see it as perfect. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I meant to draw. See, it has every single part of it. It's perfect. So I think us seeing the Mary character as this amazingly cute, like I said, 
lamb monster. Lamb monster? It's almost like if um, Lammy from Doc McStuffins and I can't think of another character and like Baymax and Sully from Monsters, Inc. Like all got cloned separately in different vials and somebody tripped, hit those vials and then they mixed together and then it, I see like Professor Ludwig von Drake, you know, the mad scientist from all the Disney cartoons that go, oh no. And then we end up with Mary. I like the design. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to, let me say that. From that rambling story, it didn't sound like you did. (laughs) Uh, That's why I wanted to say, to be clear, I enjoy the design. I also think that <clears throat> it's different to have a character who looks really, really cute and unassuming say really bad things at times or really adult things at times. I think that adds to the humor of, look how cute this is, and they're saying awful things. That's part of the joy of Avenue Q that you brought up earlier of, Look at the cute Muppets saying terrible things. Yes, and in a Broadway musical, they they don't toe that line. They go well past that line with better metaphors for what they do that line that we can say in this podcast. But, yeah, I'm getting a, a slow nod. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <clears throat> Not a fast <laughs> nod, a slow nod. Um, and in an ABC primetime TV show, you can toe that line in amusing and good ways. Um, but I don't think they cross it. And I think they play it off well of like Mary went away when Alice was like preteen teenager. And now that Mary's back, she's kind of still at that same point. So it's like having your preteen voice inside of you narrate your own life. Like my preteen voice would say things that are radically different than what I would say now. You're right. You're right. Uh, there is something about, <laughs> I was about to say there's something about Mary, Mary. Um, <laughs> but there, but there is something about Mary in terms of she is everything that Alice is afraid to say. And all those old familiar feelings that she's having based in fear of losing something are all starting to get driven up. I'm happy and everything's going to come crashing down and mm-hmm. Mary's there to say whatever needs to be said. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, Alice also, they don't get into this much with the pilot, but she's that professional branding person, agent. I should know what that's called, but I don't. But she's <laughs> a she's a brand person, marketer thing. Um And so she's very careful about how she presents herself and what she says and everything that she decorates her apartment with. And Mary is not that censored older person. Right. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, And I I think that's, that's a wonderful setup where we get somebody who should have all the answers and knows and has become a very strong woman and see what those, what she's afraid of again. Mm-hmm. And to bring back all the things that she was afraid of as a girl who didn't have things together manifesting again in Mary. 
And I, I like that. But um, I also like one of the best things apart, not apart, one of the best things about this show, I think, are the characters that it presents. Because I like shows with nice people. You know, I like shows. <laughs> and, and what I mean is I don't like sitcom characters or trope sitcom characters where we have jerk, sarcastic children and they, they are just jerks and they, they're mean, they hate their parents and then their parents are upset and always making jokes about how they never should have had kids and they were happier without kids and there's this animosity and you feel like you people don't even like each other. Why are you... Why are we watching this show about a family of people that doesn't like, let alone love each other? It's, it's part of the reason why I prefer The Simpsons over Family Guy is you could tell that Homer, at his core, loves his children and will do anything for his children. I was going to say, to play devil's advocate, you do love shows where everyone's a jerk and sarcastic, but they also love each other. And I think it's, and I, I wrote this in the notes, where it's it's like sarcastic frosting, but there's like a love-filled center. Okay. People, like a zebra cake. Right. But they're not hateful. And I feel like, you know, yes, Homer gets frustrated with his kids, but also he has a really, I, I mean, it's a stressful job, but he doesn't really do it. I mean, there's a lot there. And he's dealing with a lot of trauma in terms of, losing out on a life that he once had. And so there's a lot of resentment towards who he is as a father, but he still tries to do the right thing. And I'm not trying to say that Homer Simpson is a great father by any means or any stretch, because one, that's wildly off topic. And two, it's wildly off topic. But <laughs> what I'm trying to make, make plain here is I like when we get behind the tropes and add a little bit more reality in here. So who is your favorite character from the pilot? My favorite character from the pilot is possibly, um, apart from Mary, because I love Mary, uh, I think Dora. The older daughter? The, the older daughter. Okay. I think I thought that she had like one good, very specific, interesting line in there. Um, I don't remember too much of her otherwise, but she is. She feels very now. Mm hmm. I think we've seen her type of character a lot in people who are represented as older. So I think of um, from Bojack Horseman. Oh my gosh, why am I blinking on her name all of a sudden? Diane? Diane, thank you. Diane from BoJack Horseman, but in a younger body. So someone who's a little bit older, but having these weird midlife crises as a teenager. So almost Daria in that vein, but without the I hate everybody kind of thing, which I think feels a little tired. I think she does to a certain degree. She does, but still there's support. And I know that she would possibly say that she's a Slytherin 
and other things. You know, she'd certainly pro- self-identify as a Slytherin, <clears throat> but like a Slytherin. I mean, I do. Yeah, but like a Slytherin of the a Slytherin of life. Post post seventh book Slytherin. You know? We've when we've gone post Deathly Hollows. We're really getting mixed up here. But <laughs> but I feel like there's there's something about Dora that I think and I think you wrote this in your note, it, it feels like they're specifically real and drawn from the writer's families or it feels yeah. <clears throat> like they're real individual based on something. They have the one line, they're talking about Dora, and I think the younger daughter, Bunny, says, Kylo Ren is not your boyfriend. And Dora says, yet, sarcastically as a comeback. And I, as soon as that line came out, and I, I pictured all the preteen girls that I've met since Star Wars Episode Seven came out. And thinking, yes, of course, you all love Kylo Ren, there's all that Kylo Ren merchandise. Kylo Ren is your boyfriend because he inevitably will be redeemed. Like, we all see it. We all know it's coming. He's a bad guy, but he's a good guy. But he's bad. <laughs> so it felt very specific of a daughter who has this fake imaginary boyfriend who's Kylo Ren. Who's like this... It's, it's this new Star Wars and pop culture thing. Like, it's no longer like... The, the young, nerdy son being like, I like Star Wars! It's the, the teenage daughter who has the <laughs> crush on Kylo Ren. That's <laughs> modern Star Wars and pop culture. I think if, if we imagined, if you said imaginary friend, I, I feel like we would see Kylo Ren in her brain off oh to the God. side. I feel I like... watch that, that Adam Driver episode. That'd be amazing. I think that, that that feels like a season one finale where we get to see the imaginary friends from everybody. <laughs> and it is ABC, which is Disney, which has Star Wars. So that's why they can get the name check, but they could go one step. Well, they can go 10 steps further and actually put Kylo Ren in there. They have Kylo Ren in Disneyland. They can put him in Imaginary Mary. As a, you don't even need to unmask. You could just get the mask. I just want a one-off joke. Just a one-off joke. And maybe Mary sees him as like, hey, handsome. Like that. Like that would be it. That's all that has to happen. No, I want to go one step further than that. Like, hey, handsome. And then like, do you want to get some chicken fries? <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Because <laughs> it's chicken fries. It's another oddly specific thing that is more... My generation, then Dora's generation. <laughs> chicken fries. Okay, and Kylo Ren saying chicken fries is kind of funny. Ish. I'll grant you three ishes on two uh, ishes. Six. Two ishes. Six ishes total. Yeah. So five far, ishes? you're so so far you're on five ishes this episode. Yes. Okay. Uh, but then here's the problem when you have nice characters is when people are nice, where does the conflict come from? Because nice people who love each other, it's like, well, where where are they going to start getting into battles? Where are they going to start fighting each other? Where's the drama going to come from? Because a show about nice people having nice, fun times wouldn't sell. 
So where does this conflict start to come from? Well, I mean, of course we have Mary and Alice, which I think is the main conflict in the show. And Mary's not really part of this real family. Like, she's not an external conflict. Right. So she's this internalized thing, and we're, we're really seeing the conflict within Alice manifesting mm-hmm. itself through conflict with Mary. But also then it becomes, you need the outsider in Alice to come in into this family and her outsiderness of, I don't know how to be a parent come in and make problems. Well, I think a lot of the the conflict in the family is going to be like this conflict of negotiation where they want the same thing, but they want it a different way. Mm. And I think you see that in the first episode when um, Ben comes to find Alice after she bailed on him and his family. Um, And Alice immediately thinks that he's there to break up with her. He goes, no, no, absolutely not. We're having a fight we're not done. We're just having a fight. Like, I think that's what it is. They're, they're in it to win it. They're together, but it's figuring out what that means. And I don't think that Alice knows what it's like to have a family in that way where she's very... I mean, the whole episode starts with Alice, um, Alice's parents breaking up, getting a divorce. And that's the inciting incident that creates Mary. So Mary gets created when Alice is going through this trauma of her parents, her father leaving, essentially. And then it's not until, which is interesting, that it's not until a family comes back into her life that she needs Mary again. Because now she has something to lose. Mary helped her learn to live on her own, and she succeeded at it. So Mary went away, and now she's not on her own. So she needs her friend again. Mary has to come back. But her friend does not know what coming back means. Hmm. Yeah, the last time we saw Mary, um, Alice was losing her virginity. So, which is a brilliant scene. Uh, I think it's the best scene of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think there is a better scene writing-wise, but I think that's the funniest scene. But I'll save that for favorite thing. Okay. Okay. So, um, and I I think we, we talked on this a little bit about the adult humor that's in the show. And yeah. a, a night, a really cute-looking character having the <laughs> not really a potty mouth because she can't because it's ABC on prime time, but you know spelling things out like A double S. That's a curse word. <laughs> I'll teach you other ones. You know <laughs> that that's clever way of <laughs> doing that. I mean, you could say it right. On, on ABC, but the fact that she doesn't because she's trying to spare Alice as a child, but still wanting to teach her these things. Well, I think it's also like the preteen mentality of like thinking you're, you're much more uh, hip than you actually are. And I think that's what Mary exhibits. It's like, look at me. I'm so cool. I can say all these dirty words. Like, oh, I said dirty. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's it's a child's imagination of what somebody who's a rebel, rebellious yeah. person would do. Yeah. A-S-S. Ooh. <laughs> and also, you stink. Exactly. I'll say the B word. I just did the B word. <laughs> Don't look that up, kids. Don't look it up. <laughs> uh, go ahead. But you, you, you said that it's slightly more than kid humor, so it's not quite adult, quote unquote. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not after school humor. It's um, early evening humor. Mm-hmm. We're not getting to like Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Midnight Territory, but we are not like I don't. I'm trying to think of a good example of an after school show. We're not looking at like early nineties Ducktales. <laughs> True. We're, we're getting hints of it, but we're never completing. We're starting the thought, but we're not completing the thought. Mm -hmm. You know what we mean. Wink is, is what it feels like. You know what we yeah. were going to say. And it's cleverly done so far. I think if they rely too much on the humor, that'll get old by the end of the season. So I hope sure. that they find new dynamics in that or use it sparingly. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for the pilot to show what Mary is capable of. The pilot is always so different than the show you wind up with, just because you have to establish so much. You can't, you can't get to the meat of what you want to get into. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this pilot is the meat? Are we, are we inside the sandwich with imaginary Mary? That's a good question. I think that for me, and this is this is this was a strange feeling that I had after watching it, was that was fun. I could either never see another episode, <laughs> or I could watch all of them. You know, I I like because here's the thing: the pilot felt complete. It took us through a full cycle, and at the end, it left you with. Maybe things are going to be okay. You know, she, yeah. she, she had a realization and things felt really happy. And the family is singing, don't go breaking my heart and karaoke. And they're having a happy moment. So you're like, oh, I think they might be on the path. Great. So they completed it. And I felt like, oh, that was a really nice, nice time. But I can see where other things can go. But what I don't want to see is sitcom problems happen to these non-sitcom people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that if they start having the problems that would be more part of an episode of Friends, I think I would be a little bit, um, a little bit thrown by that. Yeah, I'm, I'm. So you don't want to see Andy um, learn how to ride a motorcycle to impress the the journalism club at school? Oh God! Uh, well, that would that would kill her. We, we talked about swimming with dolphins or jumping the shark. 
that would jump the shark for me, and I would, <laughs> I, I would, I would walk out. Metaphorically speaking, I would walk out of that. I think if we do things like you saw, like you just said, that was a perfect, perfect example. Or if if Alice starts making dumb choices, because the cool thing was she didn't go out and get drunk and sleep with somebody else or do do something ridiculous and then try to hide it in a fun way, like, oh my gosh, they're still hiding behind the door. Hi, Ben. You know, oh goodness. It's it wasn't this weird thing where she's trying to hide and lie. She went out, she got drunk, she sang karaoke by herself, a karaoke duet, well, with Mary, and then <laughs> by herself, and then ended up in bed by herself, asleep, passed out. Having forgotten that she left Ben a three-hour voicemail. Exactly. Like, that is, that's what happened. And the fact that he caught her in the, in the same episode, as opposed to leaving this problem lingering or a lie that's out there lingering. And then in three episodes, we'll find out and suddenly they'll break up and it'll be awful. And I just don't want sitcom problems to end up in this show. That's but that's just modern long-term storytelling. I think like, I don't know if that's isolated to sitcom. If something happens in one episode, you have to wait three episodes to see what happens. No, no, no. I don't mind. I don't mind mystery and things not being revealed for several episodes. I just don't like when a character makes a dumb lie mm. that feels not like a character doing something, but it feels like you feel the machinations of a writer trying to keep a show going. Yeah, tension. Ah, you know what will keep them guessing? Not talking about this plot point for three episodes. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And a lot of sitcoms from the 90s and before were just built on creating those problems that felt external instead of internal. They felt completely out of character because they were manipulating in order to keep things going. Well, if these two characters get together, that would mean the end of the show. So we have to manufacture ways to keep them apart. So every season this character will have to date three women and this character will have to date three guys and that'll keep them apart. But we'll have to find different ways to break them up because in the end, after nine seasons, maybe these two will finally come together and maybe they won't. I don't know. It's a mystery. Okay. okay. So clearly that felt like a very specific rant against how I met your mother. <laughs> I've truth be told, I have not, seen a full episode of how I met your mother in my life. I've seen, so, I've seen, clear. I've seen a sum total of 30 minutes, but never a full episode of how I met your mother. I think our sequel podcast is writers meet your mother. Oh, please don't make me <laughs> please. You will, you will have to get another partner to do that one because I will, I, I will run kicking and screaming or maybe have a third person in it so I could just sit here and abstain the whole time. <laughs> and that's my part in the podcast is being silent in being protest. Mm, okay. Well, so we'll scrap that sequel idea. I'm really good at being a silent partner. I swear. 
I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I would not say anything sarcastic or undercutting about. You wouldn't say anything sarcastic or undercut anything anyone said. I would not. I promise. If we do that podcast, I, I would not. I, I swear to you. See, that's the kind of thing that you would expect in a poorly conceived sitcom. And actually, my comments were more about friends than about how I met your mother. And I love friends. And the fact that I'm like gnawing on friends <laughs> and ragging on friends means that you can love something and have it be completely, completely flawed. Like the 2000s Mummy movie. 2099? Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Completely flawed movie, completely forgettable. I think I love it. I haven't seen it in 15 years. My brain says that I love it, despite how bad it is. <laughs> We're like way outside of the animation world now. But I think it's getting to the... the what What's the word that I'm thinking of? The, the tradition of sitcoms, and especially families and relationships in sitcoms. Because this show has both a family and a romance in it. Mm -hmm. It takes out the question of will they, won't they, and puts them together in a relationship in episode one right away. Whereas I think in the 80s or 90s, we'd spend a whole season before they even kissed. But there's no point to have Mary. We have to start in media res. I know, but that's what I'm saying is maybe Mary comes in because they meet in that sense. Trying to be like, hey, don't get with this guy. He has a family. And the more that she feels like she wants to be with him. And then her gay best friend is like saying, oh, you know, you don't want to be that. And then you have, I guess that's what the, that's what Mary is, uh, is Mary the gayest friend? We have the the animated imaginary friend who's taking over for a sassy gay best friend. I think I like the animated character trope a little better. Mary is voiced by Rachel Dratch, so is there a difference? Not that I'm speaking for Rachel Dratch's orientation, but just like Debbie Downer. I mean, sure. Same vein. Same vein. But I, I, but you see what I'm saying in terms of the tradition that it's bucking up against. Yeah, it's it's not your friend who's trying to not ruin your life. That's not a good word. But it's not like the friend who's doesn't have the main character's best interests in mind. It's the main character's undermining themselves. Right. It's like a dream ghost in a way. So it's herself <laughs> talking to herself, but a really bad version of herself. Ah, oh, what is dream ghost from? That's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. Oh, I love Dream Ghost. What a great thing. <laughs> Teaching yourself something you already knew is what, what we're dealing with here. Her subconscious is telling her, listen, you, have, you, you can be a better person. But I guess here's the question about Mary. The thing about her? The thing about... <laughs> here's the something about her. What is Mary's purpose and how are they using Mary? Is she, and I I made a list a little bit here, is she a surrogate mother figure? 
is she like a, a cool older sister kind of character? Is she a, we'll get psychological, a manifestation of Alice's id? Or, I think you added this, uh, is she just Rachel Dratch? All of the above. All of the above. Um, I think that absolutely Mary is a manifestation of the id, if you were going to go very psychological. And there's a line at one point that Mary says, you're spinning out bad, that's why you dug me out of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> If there's a question of what Mary was, it's like, oh, here it is. I'm your id. Here's why I'm here. Here's where I came from. Hi. Um, but I think that Mary was created to be a surrogate mother in Alice's childhood. And uh, Mary thinks of herself as a fun older sister. Emphasis on thinks of herself. Mm-hmm. But is, Yeah. She tried to create a surrogate mother, but created somebody who thought of herself as the cool older sister, but who's really just bad ideas and bad advice in a really cute package. I don't know that bad ideas is... No, not bad ideas, but how about this? It's the fight or flight, and the answer is always flight. Mm Mm-hmm. But do it as a strong woman. <laughs> Flight, but as a responsible, strong feminist. That's exactly. And I think I think that's where, where it's coming from. It's like run from this in a you know, in a but to show how strong of a woman you are. <laughs> I mean I have I have that same inner id, so I totally understand. <laughs> And that's not that's not a knock on it, but that's what she does. It's like you want to get get out of this with this guy because of everything. You know, you're scared of it, so leave. When you know that's the fight or flight. It's flight, but but hey, you're a strong woman. Let's go out and party. So you could have. It's ridiculous. If your cake and eat it too, or buy two cakes so you can have one and eat the other. You're strong. That's the solution. Like, why do people buy one cake? Buy two cakes. Sorry, that's my soapbox rant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I think Mary is a two cakes character. She is. She is two cakes. I'm going to call her Mary two cakes from now on. <laughs> uh, should we talk a little bit about animation? Because I think we talked a little bit about animation when we talked about Son of Zorn, which our listeners can go back and listen to that episode about the other animation live action hybrid on network tv that was going on is it still going on that i do not know okay i'll tell more about it i'm gonna quote cusco mm, don't know don't care <laughs> spoilers for the end of what we think of uh son of sword <laughs> um so in this episode i wanted to bring up there's an awkward moment where alice is like pushing mary off the table or something i think it's off the stool yeah. While they're singing karaoke. Stu- no, I think it was like in the house. Oh, you're right. You're right. She's, it, it's in the house and she pushes her. Yeah. You're right. And they did, I did some reading. They, they did practice like with a puppet and stuff. So there, there's pretty good eye line throughout the episode and how they communicate as characters. I think that looked pretty natural, but 
Um, when Alice goes to push Mary off the stool, you could see the limitations of their primetime TV show animation budget. Because um, <laughs> you see like a hand and for some reason Mary is like moving and you don't know what physics are at work there. Um, and I've thought of this and how weird this was because I just recently saw the Captain Christian video essay on YouTube about Roger Rabbit and the scene where they bump the lamp. Uh, and I learned a lot about bumping the lamp as a catchphrase for showing off an animation. Um, Chris, you love Roger Rabbit, so I, I think do. you should explain bumping the lamp. Well, uh, when Roger Rabbit was made in 19... I mean, it came out in 1988. So when it was made in the 80s... Um, Without computers, I must say, because it's a feat upon itself to have the technological things that happened and Roger Rabbit just exist at all. Roger Rabbit should not exist as it is. There were rules in how you would do animation and live action together. One rule was you couldn't really move the camera because that made it difficult for the animators to keep perspective going. Um, and then Robert Zemeckis is like, how about I just make a movie and uh, you just draw? How about that? <laughs> you know, I'll just animate and you just draw the characters. How about that? Um, so they moved the camera a lot. But bumping the lamp is making things even more complicated and harder because one of the most difficult things is lighting. And Roger Rabbit had layers and layers of not just the character. So they had the character on one cell and then they had shadows and more shadows and highlights. So each character had sometimes up to, I would say at least 10 layers per frame, including highlights and sometimes maybe sparkles going on or other effects happening. So layers upon layers frame by frame, second, you know, 24 frames a second. So if you think about that, there's at least 20, 240 pieces of cell stacked to create this, the effects of the shadows. So just having a stationary character and a stationary camera and a stationary light source would be complicated. But once you add something like the scene where Eddie comes in to the speakeasy, the hidden bar, and he's there with Dolores, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Roger Rabbit is handcuffed to Eddie Valiant, and Dolores says, what happened? You said you'd never take another tune case again. What'd you have, a change of heart? And then Eddie says, nothing's changed. Somebody's made a passy out of me, and I have to find out why. And he hits his head on the lamp and it starts swinging. And Roger says, watch your head. And um, it's swinging. So the light source for the whole scene, the single light bulb, is moving. Which means, if you remember, the shadows, the highlights are all changing and swirling and moving. And the fact that you take on that complicated nature of, oops, now we have to think about the light moving <laughs> the light source moving that means the shadows move frame by frame by frame by frame by frame it's amazing and 
if you want to see it in action and get some good, knowledgeable narration about it, I highly encourage you to watch the Captain Christian video. We'll post the link to it in our show notes. Um, having just watched this, that's why when I see the scene of Alice pushing Mary off the table or whatever, it just seems so odd because it doesn't at all look real. You're right. Let alone like they they weren't even trying to show off. It just doesn't look real. And that's not too demean the animation in the rest of this episode. I think that Mary overall is a fairly well-made character. They do great with eyelines and all sorts of stuff. It's just that one moment that really jumped out and bugged me. And I had to think about why it bugged me. And it was the interaction. Mm-hmm. It was the interaction. And that was the other thing in Roger Rabbit was, oh, don't have them interact. But it's like, nope, I'm going to have it interact with the physical world as much as possible. They're going to spit real water. They're going to jump on things. They're going to knock things over. Because in that interaction, it just adds believability to it. And I think that one indication just lost a lot. Now, here's the question that I have, not bumping the lamp, but dramaturgically speaking, can she physically push Mary? I would say yes, because she imagined Mary to be a real friend, even though she's an imaginary friend. So, and she's fuzzy. You like, you don't imagine a fuzzy character and like not want to like touch them and they spoon and cuddle. Um, and that seemed mostly realistic. That did, but it was it was Mary interacting with a stationary Alice. Yeah. As opposed to Alice putting focus and pushing. She just needed more tension in her forearm, I think, to actually f- connect with it. Yeah, I think uh, as far as the actual physical scene, yeah, that could use some more there. But I think also the animation, like there didn't appear to be any impact or even really contact. Yeah. I don't I think that they can't interact physically. The two of them as a rule. Yeah. But nobody else can physically interact with her. Mm -hmm. It just just feels a little muddy. More to explore. I suppose. I suppose. But you have to have those rules for your show moving forward. What does... Because Mary can obviously stand on chairs and climb on beds and do different things. She's not floating. And she does, She has to walk places. She can't just manifest herself different spots. She's a physical being that same way. She doesn't just appear and disappear. You get the I'm sense. thinking back to the duet scene. Mm-hmm. Was Mary holding an animated microphone? No, Mary wasn't holding a microphone because they were sharing a microphone. Oh, okay. Cool. She would put the microphone in front of Mary. Mm. And then everyone was like, what's going on? Because there's an empty stool there. Point moot. You're right. (laughs) But um, I guess here's the big question that I want to ask you, Mackenzie. Having experienced this pilot, and I already said that I could either watch no more episodes or all the episodes of this show because the pilot was really, it felt like a really complete thought, but I enjoyed the the world. I like the characters. I'm glad that Rachel Dratch has a starring role in something. Yeah. Uh, Power to the Dratch 
right? <laughs> hashtag power to the dratch. Hashtag power to the dratch. Or just um, hashtag power dratch? Uh, not a, uh, dratch power. Dratch power. Dratch power. I think dratch power is a little stronger. <laughs> we'll keep workshopping it. Um, but uh, how, would you watch another episode of Imaginary Mary? I don't think that I would. And that's not a, a slight. Um, for me, I think that it was it was all fine. It was all fine. It wasn't bad. Um, but like you, I felt like the story was complete. So for something that didn't grab me in with its humor or characters 100%, like I, I didn't feel like there was a, a plot thing dragging me back in either. So for me, I think I'm good. For you, you think you're good. Okay. Yeah. I won't be mad if I catch one of them at some point. Like, oh, okay. I'll check back in on Imaginary Mary. What is she up to these days? (laughs) (laughs) That Mary. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, do you you have anything else you would like to say about Mary? um, I think I'm covered except favorite things. Yes. Did you have a favorite thing? Well, as we alluded, we think we have the same favorite thing, um, which I will not repeat here, but it's the an excellent scene. Uh, not because I want, don't want to spoil it. I want to spoil it, but I don't think that we should say it in our podcast. Probably not. It's on. It's veering on the, the quotationless side of adult humor. <laughs> um, so my, otherwise, my favorite thing is there's a scene where Alice is talking to, uh, I think... Andy in the bathroom, mm-hmm. the, the, the son and Mary's right there. And Mary says one obscene, ridiculous thing. And Alice immediately tones it down and says that instead, it's, it's like watching Alice censor herself as she has ideas. It's like, let's get 10 bratwurst, take her out for a hot dog. We'll get all the nacho cheese in the world. I'm making this up. Um, right. No cheese in the dog. So uh, that's my kind of humor. It's like that bathos of immediately undercutting something that another character's done. I love that. I'm a sucker for it. Yeah, I think undercutting is probably my favorite thing. Or reversal. I do enjoy the reversal. Like, I'm saying this, but it really means this. And then if you do it again, it's even better. Oh, gosh. And by robot devil, I mean get your coat. Oh, gosh, so good. So good. I mean, the the one, the 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 structure of there's one Family Guy joke that I enjoy, which is it's a cutaway joke, so it doesn't have it's just a bad joke, but it's well constructed and it has nothing to do with Peter and any of the family or anything. Just as it's like that time that a guy lost an eye at bingo. And then you see a guy sitting at bingo going, I-23. And then he drops the ball. And he goes, oh, whoops. And you're like, ha, dropped an eye. And then he bends over to pick it up. And he hits his eye on the corner of the table and immediately starts screaming, ah, and blood coming out. <laughs> so it reversed it again. It's just, it's just so like, ha. And then it gets really funny again because it goes back to the original thought that you had it's like no 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 we did mean lost an eye at bingo the double reversal the old 360 
it's just really real that kind of thing. That's why I like the joke, but it has nothing to do with character or story at all. It's just a well-told joke, which was rare for Family Guy. On that note, should we talk about the completely unrelated thing we have for homework time? Let's. Next time on Writers Get Animated, because we've done so well about not talking about this for so long, we're going to talk about Star Wars Rebels. Uh, Season 3 has just ended, so there will be spoilers. Like, lots of spoilers. Lots of speculation. Lots of possible future spoilers. Like, don't listen if either, A, you haven't seen Season 3 of Star Wars Rebels and probably all the current movies, aka 3 Rogue One. Um... Or B, just don't care about spoilers. In which case, why are you listening to our episode about Star Wars? To be honest. So watch that. Get back here. We'll talk next Friday. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) As always, we want to say thank you to our engineer, Nigel Coutinho, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. If you have thoughts about Imaginary Mary, you can tweet at us at WG Animated um, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated. Um, and you can find all of our show notes and wonderful other things that we have. I think there are things that we have on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. And if you love this episode, leave us a review on iTunes because we like it if you do. And it helps other reason. people find this show. But we like it if you do. Hashtag dredge power. Chicken fries. (laughs) Chicken fries. Let's go get some chicken fries. I might actually. Good night, everybody. I've never had a chicken fry.